Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Hey, it's Dan here. You are listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. Market Call is a daily video series I do with Guy Adami every Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Today, we did a deep dive into the Snapchat pre-announcement and the knock-on effects across the NASDAQ which was down 4% at its lows today. We're talking about generally a really difficult macro market. We have the dollar in, we have rates in, we have gold up, we have Bitcoin down. Lots of things are moving around. So check it out. If you like what you hear, follow us at Market Call. That's at MKT Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. What up, people? I think it's May 24th. I'm pretty sure it's Tuesday. The only reason I know that is because there's hockey tonight at Madison Square Garden. Tuesday at the Garden. Unbelievable. Game four. Pivotal game four. Rangers, Hurricanes. I don't know, Dan. I know you're wondering this yourself. How did Florida, the best team in the regular season, get swept by Tampa Bay? We'll talk about that later. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan for Market Call. Top of the hour, 30 minutes on the clock. Today's Market Call brought to you by CME Group. This is my favorite tagline, where risk meets opportunity. And we are powered by Open Exchange. Check them out at Twitter, at Open Exchange TV. Dan, woohoo! There used to be a song when I was a young man. My grandmother would play it from time to time. My grandfather couldn't hear that well, so he didn't care what she played. It was, what a difference a day makes. And yeah. oh, my goodness, Dan, what a difference a day makes. Yeah, guy, you are an old-timey music guy. And, and listen, you know, yesterday we were talking about, you know, a, a lot of green on our screens here. We're talking about near-term bottoms and the potential to play the NASDAQ relative to the S&P for that. And, you know, it is interesting, guy, that, you know, we see this announcement over uh, overnight from Snapchat. Mm-hmm. You and I were on Fast Money on the set. We were talking about when we broke in on this story, we were talking about J.P. Morgan is that it? Was that the J.P. Morgan bottom? The stock was up 6%, what they had to say about U.S. consumer, about credit, about net interest margins at the bank, that sort of thing. And then this thing hits, and we're like, listen, man, they are blaming the macro. And this is an, a digital ad company that's doing that. Not a huge company. I think it was $25 billion market cap yesterday. But again, this stock was trading over 80 last year, okay, down 40% today. It's down 85% from its all-time highs. And I guess the main point here is that you can try to explain this away, but the truth is, is that if they're blaming macro, that means they don't have a lot of visibility about some of the trends in their business guy. So I'm just curious, when you see a move like this in a name like this that is not the leader in the space either, but it's dragging down the entire NASDAQ, what does that mean to you? Well, it's interesting, and, and that's that's the exact point. If you had said to me a month or so ago that Snap would come out and say what they'd say, and it would drag the NASDAQ at one point down 4% today, which is... An astronomical move, if you yeah. think about it. I mean, a 4% move in any index is big. 
Well, I said, there's no way. How can that happen? Because it would be anecdotal. It would be specific to Snap. No, it turns out it's not. And you've mentioned it a number of times. It's not just that. It's not just how quickly things change. Because as you said last night, it was just three weeks ago, I think, that Snap reported earnings. And they made no mention of any of this. I'm hard-pressed to believe the landscape changed that quickly. But that's probably for another show. What I'll say, though, is the landscape has changed very quickly. And now you go from people looking to hire, now to people laying off. CapEx is going to get cut. And the trickle-down effect on the back of that is significant. You know, you mentioned the effect that it has on some of these software names, SaaS names, Amazon Web Services. You can go right down the line and you're seeing it. When a a name like Facebook, for example, moves to the magnitude that it's moved. uh, Google, for example, we'll talk about all these stocks That's significant. So this is not specific to Snap. By the way, it's not specific to just tech. I think you're going to start seeing it all across the landscape. Yeah, I think the big point, and we talked about it on Fast Money last night, and when you look at these advertisers, these businesses are all over the place. They're not just tech companies. They're consumer product companies. Whatever they are, they are looking for ways to cut expenses and looking ahead and trying to forecast their own businesses, right? And so, you know, again, we've talked about this a lot. When we just had peak corporate margins here in America, and now that we have all these wage pressures and other inflationary pressures that are caused by supply changes, disruptions, a lot of companies have to make a decision. Are they going to eat some of these higher costs or are they going to pass them on to consumers? I think some companies are trying to do a little bit of both here. But when you start seeing these sorts of um, estimate cuts with the lack of clarity about the forward visibility, that's Mm -hmm. telling you that things can change quickly and you got to keep your guard up. Guy, let's just look at a few of these charts. Um, Amanda had that list of the names and the devastation. AD. I just say AD. AD. That's what she had today here. Um, look at Facebook here. And I know you've made the argument, and st- especially since that gap earlier in the year, that this is one of the cheapest stocks on the board considering the growth engines that they have. There's no real technical support for this thing until you get below 150. But from a valuation standpoint, again, this is before numbers have come down for the balance of this year and maybe next. Um, I would say the further they come down this year, the more they bounce next year. What do you do with a Facebook guy? Well, I think at this point now you look at this chart and you say, well, you got to wait for those support levels, the green lines that you drew so eloquently or efficiently or whatever word you want to do. It's Van Gogh-like, by the way. And that's what you're doing. Because right now you're buying it here. It's sort of no man's land. You have the 200-day moving average clearly now sloping lower. Every rally in the name has been sold off. You haven't seen a capitulatory bottom in terms of volume, so you got to wait. And the waiting is probably down to sort of the 150-ish level wow. where those green lines come in. You know, wow is right, but we've seen it before. I mean, you think about this. If I had told you a year ago that Facebook would be cut in half from its all-time high approaching 400, you'd be like, there's no way in the world, in the environment that we find ourselves in, that a stock like this would be cut in half. It's been cut in half. We're going to talk about Amazon in a second. Amazon has almost been cut in half from its all-time high of north of 3,800. I mean, these are historic moves, yeah. Dan Nathan. I'm not looking to jump around, but you see. Yeah, jump around. Isn't that a song? Who jump said around. That was Eminem, jump around. Right? Jump up. Jump up. And get down. Well, listen, I'm glad you brought up Amazon because, you know, technically, 
that is the move, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. basically retraced all the way back to below the pre-pandemic high. It's not at the pandemic lows here. You know, that is like straddling $1 trillion in market cap, guy. That was $2 trillion, you know, not so long ago, as you just said. And this one, to me, the lower it goes, the more interesting it gets, because I don't think this thing will ever trade at a valuation that investors are going to measure other companies like this to. But they also have a $30 billion digital ad business, and that's why we threw it up there. Guy, your first reaction last night, though, when we saw Snap down 20% originally, was where are the opportunities, and it's likely going to be the Alphabet, the Google. And, you know, again, I'm sure you're going to say this thing is going to come your way. It's not like you have to be a hero here at 2000. That was that consolidation level from a little more than a year ago. But here's the deal, dude. This company at one point three seven trillion dollar market cap they have 137 billion dollars in cash a little more than 100 billion net of debt and you do the valuation work on this one you're trading 15 times lower than that x cash is this where you go in the space once it's washed out you know but if you if you and i know you know this better than most but i think the concern here is you know last quarter youtube was disappointing i say that they still had pretty tremendous growth but disappointing in terms of expectations and where they've been. So now people starting to do the math and say, well, wait a second. If YouTube was bad last quarter, I can only imagine what's going to happen this quarter. So again, it comes down to shoot first, ask questions later. But even with all of that, um, this move now, I think, what, north of 30% move from peak to trough. Yeah, This is a stock I think even you can get your arms around in terms of valuation. It's not 100%. ridiculously expensive. So I think you've been waiting on the sidelines. And this, you know, we, we typically do trading shows. I get it. But in terms of an investment thesis, I think Google is still one of the five most important companies in the world. And I think you're getting an opportunity to buy a stock that, yeah, might go down another six, seven percent. But you're looking at something that a year ago you never thought in your wildest dreams you'd see. So this is when, as scary as it seems out there, you got to try to take the fear out of the equation and say, wait a second, I have an opportunity to buy an incredible business at a trough valuation, does it make sense? And am I buying the bottom? Probably not, but I'm getting in pretty damn close. Yeah, and I just want to be clear on one thing, though, Guy. I mean, this stock was, you know, again, it was probably $1,700, you know, at the start of 2021. And in 2021, they did $112 in earnings. Right now, consensus is calling for $113. That's on a gap basis, and that's likely to be lower. So I guess the point is, is that if this is going to be the first year, mm-hmm. okay, where they've had negative year over year, earnings, then it does stand to, you know, that the stock could be below the levels of where it was a year ago. And when you say buy it at a level, you mean not buying a full position. This is where if you have not been on the alphabet train for the last few years, you start buying here, right? Like that's the point, um, you know, that you're trying to make. It was 3,000. Now it's 2,000. It was 1,000 at the lows of the pandemic. You know what I mean? So you, you kind of can see the range here, right? Like You can see the range and you make a great point. I mean, you make an excellent point that if you just in terms of doing the math, I mean, this, this stands to reason this can trade lower. And I've said for a number of times that valuation should actually be lower in this environment. Yeah. But I guess my point is, if you've been waiting on the sidelines, if you haven't had yeah. an opportunity, I mean, you have to sort of start to find levels to sort of get in. And I think this is an interesting one. Am I losing you, by the way, Dan? Because I seem to be cutting in and out. No. You oh, okay. Apologies. You, you... I will keep going then. But yeah, that's my sense in, in Google. And I think Amazon, the same type of thing. 
yeah. a name that's almost been cut in half starts to get interesting pretty quick. Yeah, so here's one thing that regular viewers of the market call may kind of start to recognize. I've been talking about Qs and twos. That's where I'm going as we kind of go continue to go lower. That's what I'm buying. I'm buying the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, but I'm also looking to buy U.S. Treasuries here because I think that's the trade on the way out of whatever market and economic malaise that we have. Let's look at the NASDAQ futures that track the NASDAQ 100, obviously the ETF. ETF, QQQ is what tracks all of that here. You see the line, that breakdown level. It was 13,000. We had been spying that level, and now we are in no man's land. If you were to take that thing down to the late 2020 lows of September, maybe it gets you down towards, I don't know, 11,000, and then round-tripping the entire move from the pre-pandemic highs gets you to about 10,000. I mean, Guy, I don't know what you think in here, man, but like it doesn't seem like that is out of the question when you're seeing the sorts of moves that we're seeing in household tech names. And I've been saying this on Market Call. I think we're going to have a big, big, um, you know, guide down from an Apple or a Microsoft in the next month or so as we head into Q2 earnings period. And I think that's the thing that helps bring it down there. If you get all the way back down there, you're down 40% from those highs. That seems sufficient, but we're not V-bottoming. And that's why I'm nibbling on the QQQ on the way down. I think that's exactly right. And that answers a couple of questions that the audience has in terms of are we close to a bottom yet? I don't think, you know, I think for certain names, you know, you're at levels where it's, 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 I think it's prudent to start dipping your toe without question. But we've talked about this NASDAQ chart seemingly, well, I know forever because we do it each day, but especially since December, January, we said, look, folks, we're just looking at something here that seems to be sort of rolling over. Um, rallies need to be sold. Liz Young, by the way, EY from SoFi, who will be on Thursday, she's one of the first that said the climate change months ago where you're going from a buy the dip situation to yep. a market where you have to start selling rallies. And that's true. And this chart speaks to exactly that. So you could see some, you know, face ripping rallies along the way. And I think the panic has been to the upside over the last couple months. Today feels pretty orderly to me. And by the way, every sell off we've seen over the last month has felt pretty orderly. Stands to reason that horizontal line that you've drawn now for a while comes into play. And then we'll see where the generals are when we get there. So and you mentioned Apple, the, the potential for Apple to guide lower in this environment. And we're not even talking about China, Taiwan right now. Yeah. I think the chances are better than 50-50. And that would not be particularly constructive for the broader markets. No, it wouldn't. And that leads us to the S&P futures here, the S&P 500. You think of this chart here. You know, you could draw some very similar lines to what we draw on the NASDAQ 100 here. But below 4,000, Guy, you had been calling for 37.50. You called it with, you know, a great level of conviction over the last few months, even in the face of that late March face ripper where we had the uh, the S and B futures above 4,500. I think they got to 45.50. That seemed like it would be a hard thing to happen by the summer. You were saying it's going to happen. It seems like a foregone conclusion. And then if we start to see some of these guide downs, if some of these analysts and strategists are starting to extrapolate some of the stuff that we're hearing from a company like Snap or a company like Netflix or Deer or Target or Walmart, the list goes on and on and on, then you might see finally earnings estimates for the S&P 500 for this year come down. They're at 10% year over year. That's not happening. You and I have been saying it. If you put a 17 multiple to 10-year average on, let's say, 205, that gets you back to this little green zone that we have here, which it brings you back to that pre-pandemic high. That's about 3450. Maybe it overshoots. 
For you folks playing uh, Market Call Bingo, you won't have this one. Dan mentioned the list is long. The list is, in fact, long and distinguished. As Slider said in Top Gun, I mentioned that because this Friday, Maverick will be coming out in theaters near you. I encourage you to go check that out, folks. But you're exactly right. And I will tell you, the trolls were out in force right after March 14th when the market did that face-ripping rally. I said, oh, where's your 37.50 now, genius? Well... Here we are, pretty damn close, and I think we're going to get there. And it's markets overshoot to the upside. I think we will do the overshoot to the downside. And it's not just me. David Tepper's come out and said, listen, he'll get interested in the S&P when it's somewhere between 3,500 and 3,600. He's looking at the same levels we, I mean, we're looking at. This is not rocket science. It's just sort of doing math back to the envelope stuff, and it makes sense in this environment. Now, you have to ask yourself, will that be the point that the Fed put comes in Will they pivot at that level and assuming that the market's done enough damage and they acquiesce and they sort of give in and they blink in the market? Maybe that'll be the case. We'll see. But I think it's reasonable to think in the environment that we find ourselves in, 3750 is the first stop. The overshoot comes in the form of the lines that you just drew. Yeah. Hey, I want to I want to tease something out here for a oh, second. Oh, guy. You're gonna no. Get mad? Okay, like no, no, no. I think this is a really important conversation for our listeners and our viewers here. Okay. So David Tepper, he runs Appaloosa. He was one of the most successful hedge fund traders the last 25 years. He now owns the Carolina Panthers. Sure. Um, and he's a really brilliant guy. He does not one of those guys like Guy and me who are on CNBC every day, like yapping and yapping and yapping. He comes on what, like once a quarter. And he usually comes on when something's going on in the markets. And I just think it's important, Guy. I'd love to get your sense of this because it's very similar to kind of the, the thought process we were talking about, like averaging into the queues. When he says the market's going to start to get interesting to him at 3,300 or 3,400 or whatever, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's expecting the market to kiss that and then V reverse, right? And so one of the things that I think has been a massive disservice to a lot of new investors to the markets over the last, call it, five to 10 years is that they think that every dip should be bought and we're going to be making new highs before you know the, the next period, whatever you measure your performance by. That's not happening this time around, people. I can just assure you that what happened in early 2020, uh, the only reason we V-reversed was that we threw so much monetary and fiscal stimulus at that guy. So speak to that a little That's bit. That's exactly because, right. That's yeah. exactly right. The, the, the reason why we, re- in terms of the market and then subsequently the economy is because the amount of money yeah. that was thrown into it, obviously staving off whatever you want to call it, a terrible recession, potentially depression. I can't do the counterfactual, so I won't attempt. What I'll say this time is that won't be there. There's no reason to throw that kind of money into the system because inflation is now a problem. And it's not, again, just Dan and I talking about this. You have a lot of voices talking about the same thing. And yes, maybe we did get a peak inflation number last reading, but that doesn't mean, again, it won't be both persistent and pesky. And I think it's going to be around for a long time. By the way, remember, this is a Federal Reserve that was praying for two, two and a half, whatever it was, inflation. Now you got an eight handle. So even if that's cut in half, which is not going to happen anytime soon, inflation would still be a problem. So if you expect the Fed to come in with boatloads of helicopter money, you know, guess again, which by definition means you're not going to see, at least in the market, some huge V-shaped move from bottom to top. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Well, I just wanted to tease that out, guy. Yeah, right, you let's were trying to get. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying, trying to get you worked, worked up, up. buddy. I'm trying, trying to get, and it's not yeah. going to happen. I'm just well, not going to do it. I feel. Listen, it's you know, it's Tuesday. Well, I feel hold on. Good. I'm hold on. Fast hold times on. in Richmond High. I woke up in such a good mood. 
this is this is this show's not over, buddy. I think I got something coming up, and Uh-oh. Ad and I have a little surprise for you that I think will most certainly get you exercise. So Thank exercise you. is on your market call bingo card. There you go, people. All right, let's look at the ten-year U.S. Treasury yield because mm. this is one ah. that, that you were also very convicted that was going to skip from two percent to three percent. Well, it stopped going up, guy. Now that two percent to three percent move that caused, I, I think, obviously a great deal of volatility. It's really one and a half to three percent. It doubled from the start of this year. That's why we have an S&P down 18% and a NASDAQ down 28%. It's not why. It's one of the reasons contributing. Look where that 200-day moving average is. It's down there at 186. You see the breakout level from the start of 2020. Is there a potential, guy, that 10-year U.S. Treasury yield could come back and retest that 2% breakout level? If in fact, well... The short answer is I think there's about a 15 or 20 percent chance of that. If that were to happen, that I don't know what would be happening in the broader markets. I think that would be, and I'm choosing to use this word, catastrophic for the broader markets under those set of circumstances. Because what does it mean? My sense it will mean a flight to quality in the form of bond yields. And you ask me what's going on here, and I've said it for a while, as have you, that if the market were to sell off in a meaningful way over the course of many weeks, you're going to see a flight to quality in the form of bonds, which means yields will go lower. And that's exactly what we're seeing. The yields are not going lower because inflation problem has been quelled or the inflation problem has been figured out. They're going lower because the market's fleeing to the, it's running to the bond market is sort of this flight to quality. doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what we're seeing. And oh, by the way, we now routinely see 10 to 15 basis point moves daily in yields, which is just, if you think about how crazy that is, how preposterous it is, yeah. the bond market's broken. So what you're going to wind up seeing happening is two years going to stay stubborn, 10 years going to go down, the yield curve, which I think blew back out to about 40 or so basis points in terms of two tens, is probably going to go to flat, if not inverted again. And then you wonder what the market does on the back of it. What's the point? The point is the bond <laughs> market's broken. The Fed has no control over anything but short-term yields. And it's going to do what it wants to do. So yields going lower here is not a good thing, by uh, definition, almost. That that was epic, dude. Maybe we'll well, clip that I mean, and put you know, that on the Twitter. I know you don't think. I, <clears throat> listen, I pay attention. What do I do? I mean, it's the cheapest, cheapest thing you can do. Cheapest thing you can do. And you know, one of the things that I'll just say about that two-year, why you said it's going to be um, just kind of stuck right here. Look at this kind of expectations. This is a CME Fed Watch tool. Love that. And, and June, you know, we're we're upwards of eighty-five percent of a fifty basis point rise. It's kind of a foregone conclusion. Some really bad stuff would have to happen for the Fed to dial that back. And the same for July, another 50. That's That's been their guidance. They're going to have to stick to it. But here's the thing, guy. There's this uh, hedge fund guy. His name is Bill Ackman. Um, he's a little oh, no. different. This, he's, is, where I'm he's, get, this yeah. is where you're starting. He's a little forward. different than the Tepper guy. Okay, Tepper tells you like it is. Ackman tells you what he's whining about, what he really wants here. Whining. All right, so this was a tweet thread. Inflation is out of control, just in case you didn't know, guy. Inflation expectations are getting out of control. Markets are Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Inflation is out of control. Inflation expectations are getting – I mean, he could – he's a smart guy. Didn't he go to like the University of Pennsylvania or some one of those fancy schools? No, he probably went to Harvard or something Well, I'm just saying he should – maybe he should try to alter – I'm just saying. I know, but this is like like Titanic hits iceberg. This Ah, is like the headline, okay? Markets are imploding because investors are not confident that the Federal Reserve will stop inflation. If the Fed doesn't do its job, the market will do the job. For the Fed, and that's what's happening now. The only way to stop today's rate 
raging inflation is with an aggressive monetary tightening or with, okay, again, thank you. This is, you know, I, I mean, this guy thinks he's smarter than everybody about everything. I think he also laid out a great uh, war plan for the Ukrainians. Um, mm. You know, he's one of those sorts of guys. He was going to get us out of the pandemic as he uh, developed a COVID um, vaccine, I think at the Lowe's also. Talk to me about this. Like when you've got hedge fund guys whining on Twitter, talking their books, what does it mean yeah, well, that's about where we are? You. That's exactly right. I mean, you have hedge fund guys whining on Twitter, talking their books. Where does it say we are? Well, thanks for that. If he watches Market Call, Bill, if you're watching, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Um, you're, you're late to this dance. I mean, you're saying pretty much everything people have been saying now literally for months. So it's not particularly helpful. I'll say this in terms of the market doing the job for them. I happen to agree with that. I bring that up because apparently that genius Neil Kashkari said something to the effect that, you know, we have done something in 30-year yields, and you've talked about this for a while. Mortgage rates have basically doubled. He didn't do it. The Fed didn't do that. The market did it for them. And it's nuanced, but it's important distinction. The market is taking actions into their own hands. Um, and that's problematic because once the market forces are at work, strange things start to happen. You mentioned the overnight repo market. By the way, a rabbit hole I'm not looking to go down. Yeah. But I tell you, Dan, in September of 2019, the overnight repo market blew up. I think it was, if memory serves, September 17th. Go back and look. If I'm off by a day, don't at me. People say that it was COVID that knocked the market down. Yeah, I get it. But the seeds were sown in the overnight repo market in the fall of the prior year. And take a look at what's going on in the repo market. Now, point being, things are doing, there are a lot of weird things happening under the surface, starting to manifest itself into the broader markets. Matter of fact. I'm just saying. I'm, I know. I'm saying. I, you know, listen, I love it that you preface it. I don't want to get into the weeds. Here's in the weeds. Our friend, you know her as EY from sure. SoFi, as you call her guy. I just call her Liz Young. She tweeted out this this morning. I thought this was interesting. Right in your wheelhouse. The spread between the riskiest investment grade corporate bonds, triple Bs, and the safest high yield corporate bonds, double Bs, is widening. This is what's called the crossover space where IG, investment grade, and HY, high yield, are separated by only one rating level. The wide the spread, the lower the risk appetite. Talk to me about this because you've been actually talking about the JNK, the HYG, yeah. some of the levels that they've been violating all year long before it felt like the market was really kind of, I don't know, crashy to use the word. Yeah, you don't want spreads blowing out. And I think that's what she's alluding to here. I mean, that to me, you know, the credit market's been under control. What we've been trying to point out here for a number of weeks, if not longer, is one of the things you need to be looking at is either LQD or HYG, and HYG, which typically doesn't move, has gone from about 78 and a half, excuse me, about 88 and a half down to current levels. And that's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because if you go back and look, every time this thing has rolled over, it's been the precursor of a pretty vicious move in the underlying equity market. And I think that's what we're seeing now. What I did take some solace in today is the HYG, which actually was lower at one point, has reversed and gone higher. Just something to look at. Maybe that's sort of a silver lining here for the broader market. But that's one thing that you absolutely have to watch because credit, when credit is a problem, that's when people, that's when central bankers start to get their collective antennae up. 100% as you would say, 100 emoji. Um, yeah, I, again, you know, that's not something that like I, I'm not 
cluing off or trading off, that sort of thing. But I think it's really important input to keep your eye on. All right, let's talk about those inflation expectations, Guy. Mm -hmm. I think one of the easiest ways for a lot of people like me and you, we'll just call ourselves dummies, or I mean, I think our viewers are much smarter than us, but you know, we, we look at crude oil, right? Like this is one, I think it's the easiest thing to look at on a daily basis to give you a sense of kind of where, you know, like, you know, an industrial commodity or one that a lot of consumers are affected by. What is this telling you? You know, you've been saying that this chart constructive. I agree with you. It's holding that uptrend like a boss, as the kids say. It's had a number of checkbacks to that uptrend. Where would you say that that inflation expectations are rolling over? Like, where would crude have to be for you to say that right now? Well, you, the lines draw themselves, as you say. And I think my sense is for have a meaningful rollover, you have to see crude back down in the mid 80s or magically enough about where the 200 day moving average is, which will probably come in around 88 bucks or thereabouts with each passing day. That number obviously grows yeah. a little bit. That to me is the level you need to see. Personally, I don't think we're going to, I think we will see it at a certain point. I just don't yeah. think we're going to see it in the near future. When China reopens, and at a certain point they will, I think one of the things that's been holding crude back has been the fact that they have this zero COVID policy, right or wrong, obviously in China. If that were to sort of abate a bit, I think that's going to open the floodgates for crude to go higher. And that's one thing, as much as the Fed thinks they can control everything, one thing they can't control is crude oil and everything on the inflation stream or downstream is predicated on the price of energy. And it's stubborn as hell and it doesn't want to seem to go down, which is not particularly bullish, I think, for the broader market either, Dan. Yeah, fair enough. I get that. All right, let's look at these two competing headlines over the last oh, day. I love this, and, like and the dueling the, banjos. Yeah, in the in the FT. Yeah. All right, here's one from uh, yesterday. Banks turn to blockchain in search of high quality trading assets. I thought that was really interesting. And then the other one was crypto links with banks pose threat to financial stability. Says the ECB. I love it. I mean, listen, one one uses blockchain, the other uses crypto. What do you want from me? Right. All right. That's that's exactly that's exactly right. That's where I'm you're the dude in the middle of the boat, just sort of shrugging my shoulders. I, I, I love, I love, I love it. And 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 again, you know, you and I are just crypto curious, but I think our little crypto folks, our friends who are really into it, would tell us that crypto and blockchain are two different things, bro. All right, let's look at this Bitcoin here. Did this you is throw the, me there. I, I did was, throw you. I like this is the Bitcoin futures. This is going back to when the CME launched them, guy, in late 2017. That was very near the high high of that retail frenzy it was near 20,000 here. Look at that green line I drove, the broke out, the breakout from late 2020. You saw what happened at 20,000 and went almost immediately to 60,000, checked back to last summer at about 29,000, had a new high at like 69,000, and here we are again at last summer's lows. You see that air pocket, guy, there's no other way to describe that like that room between 30 and 20 as an air pocket. I say something, and hopefully this will resonate. I think it will with you. I'm a big believer in the market doesn't give you a lot of opportunity to sell the highs or conversely to buy the lows. Yeah. And if you look at it, we've sort of been at this 29, 30,000 level now, seemingly for the last few weeks. I'm hard pressed to believe the markets can give you that sufficient amount of time to buy something that's going to go higher from here. So what does that mean? I think it means there's another leg lower. I think Carter Braxton Worth agrees with that. Yeah. I think recently he put out that his work suggests there's another leg lower in Bitcoin. 
and that probably gets you down to this 22,500-ish level or that sort of level of support, which might be a little north of 20,000. I'm splitting hairs, but I think you get what I'm saying. And I think that green line is exactly right. Now, I will tell you, I don't know what happens to the NASDAQ on the back of that, and I don't know what happens to gold on the back of that. I think I know, but each time that something like this has happened, I've been proven to be incorrect yet again. All right, last thing before we get out of here, we have that gold chart up there, Guy. It briefly mm-hmm. broke that uptrend that had been in place from last summer or so, I guess last, yeah, last summer or so. Yeah. Um, it's above the 200-day moving average. You see the double top. We didn't even have to draw a line there. Um, quick, quick take on gold before we get out of here. Last night, my final trade, if you were paying attention, which I know you do, was in fact gold. Not gold, the commodity, but gold in the form of Barrick. That symbol is G-O-L-D. And gold caught a bid. The reason why, because everything we were discussing on the show last night led me to believe you'd catch a bid today in gold, and you will. You're right, Dan. We did break that downtrend line, but we're sort of trading either side of the 200-day moving average, below it, above it, above it now. It hasn't turned lower. Actually, it's sloping higher. I'll say it for maybe the hundredth time, and listen, it's been painful, but I do think there's going to be a day when gold sort of finds itself in the sunlight, and I don't know what's going to be the catalyst for it. Maybe it's China, Taiwan. I think I don't think the market is fully comprehending the comments out of President Biden, be it a gaffe or not a gaffe. There's clearly something there, and I think maybe that will be the catalyst to take gold higher. I'm obviously not wishing for that. I'm just trying to, as they say, read the tea leaves, which I don't know what it means. I'm sure it's some Shakespearean thing. I'll Google it after the show. Fair enough. Um, that was good. That was a, a hot 30. Was that a hot 30 guy? Was that a, what time is it? Is it 131? Yeah, we, go overboard here. Yeah, we got to get out of here. Well, we do. Listen, I will tell you, folks, if you do nothing else today, watch the Ranger hockey game tonight and make sure you tune in prior to the puck being dropped because there are going to be fireworks at MSG. Not the kind with gunpowder, the kind of fireworks that you typically see on the ice during the playoffs, number one. Number two, I want to thank you all for joining us. And listen, if you've dug this over the last couple of years, and it's been almost two years, reach out, email us, text us, <laughs> like us, whatever you have to do, emoji thing, please do it. We like the feedback, good or bad. But that's it for the market call today. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. We are powered by Open Exchange. We will be back tomorrow, where 2 2, the series between the Rangers and the Carolina Hurricane, makes it a best of three series going back to Carolina. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> See you later, man. 